1: Pace with Alex and Fauci, Alex and Fauci, Alex and Alex, if I put our jacks in the paint, how you gon' stop me, how you gon' stop me, we can go head to head, call out your top three, call out your top three, look at the switch from Dorte. now that boy got three, we got Holly Burton running point, this is the Benedict for the shot, if anybody gon' come in the post, then we got Jalen Smith for the block, setting the pace, going to Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Gold, and I'm joined today by Mattress Mike Focci. Fachi, what's going on, brother?
2: Hey, you know I'm sitting on that King mattress or sleeping on it. But yeah. either way, the mattress is it's in the building, and so am I, Alex. It feels good to be talking some pacer basketball, especially, you know, over a long weekend. Missed the last episode. Happy to be back.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. Rhett Bauer, thanks again for stepping in for Fachi on that Celtics recap one. But, you know, speaking of mattresses, with Focci, coming up, waking up finally, Caitlin Cooper, uh, awesome, awesome basketball writer for, for the Pacers. And she's done a great job over at Indy Cornrows. And with that kind of being uh, disbanded, I guess you could say, she has started her own Patreon, Basketball She Wrote. She's going to be joining us today, and we're going to let her talk to you guys all about the different things she's going to be having on her blog but yeah we're excited to have her because it's just been too long since we've been able to hear her talk about basketball in a microphone and you know when the opportunity presented itself i was able to get in contact with her and uh just just really excited to have her mind come on our show and kind of break down what she's been seeing from the pacers the last month
2: or so if you're someone who loves pacers content this was a collab that you know I like to think that you you were hoping to one day get, and here yeah. we are. It's been a long time in the making, and it was an awesome, very insightful conversation. I, I still think that not just for the Pacers, but very few people break down the game of basketball the way Caitlin does.
1: Absolutely, Pachi. So let's just go ahead and get out of the way. We're going to go to a commercial break, and when we come back, you're going to hear our conversation with Caitlin Cooper.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate – Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you make decisions for your company,
2: you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.
1: All right, joining us on Setting the Pace, making her Setting the Pace debut. It's it's our privilege to have her on, and she just got a Patreon started, basketball she wrote. It's the one and only Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Hey, thanks for having me on. I told you guys before we hopped on, it's been almost a month since I, well, more than a month since I've been on a podcast. So I'm hoping that I remember how to talk into a microphone. I remember how to verbalize takes on basketball. We'll we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully I don't ruin the pod here.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, I I would just say this. I'm curious because this isn't even something in my notes that we're going to ask you about, but how different is it for you to talk about the Pacers versus write about it? Because like when it comes to writing for some people, especially myself, it's hard to put your thoughts down and make it sound great on, on paper, or as you say, an article where you're reading it. What What is that like for you? How How easy is that for you just to write versus talk? Or do you prefer one or the over the other or what?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it depends on the content. Like I was already looking ahead now that, you know, the Indie Cornrows podcast is no more that, you know, Mark and I would do end-of-season player reviews as podcasts. We would do draft content as podcasts, but then we would also have like a written component with it where if people wanted to see like video clips that we were using, they could go look at it. But in a lot of ways, doing the player reviews, I feel, was easier as a podcast than it is to really get into the weeds in the written form. So I think sometimes it just depends on what the topic that you're doing and covering is. But um, yeah, the struggle for words in the written form can be very real sometimes. I've experienced that. I've, I've yeah. dealt with writer's block. I know um there's some articles that i've written that have taken much longer than they probably should have and you know it it exists both ways there can be times where maybe you don't verbalize a point great in a podcast as well but i think i probably think that the podcasting is a little bit easier because you're not trying to um make something entertaining to read i guess i should say but um i'll have to get back into it today and see if people still think i'm good at this or not we'll have to see
2: (laughs) i got a feeling you're gonna do just fine but you know speaking of writing um Alex and I used to write for like, we had like a website for a little bit years ago and it's a lot of work. It is. So I give you a lot of credit because you are the undisputed, you know, best writer that I feel the Pacers have had. But what does it feel like when you get a nice shout out, like J.J. Reddick talking with, with Tyrese Halliburton? I mean, something like that has got to make all those long hours or writer's block and all of it worth it, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, that's, that is amazing. I mean, the day that I found out, well, the day I posted my note that the Indie Corners was coming to an end and to have Tyrese retweet that and share something, somebody asked me like, what did that feel like? And I'm like, I honestly, I think that says a lot more about Tyrese than it does me. Um, I think in both cases, that kind of speaks to the type of person that he is, that he would be willing to do and say something like that. I can't name a lot of players, and that doesn't mean that they're bad people because they didn't do it. It just shows that he's willing to make a little bit of an extra effort. But yeah, to hear two NBA players actually say that they think that something that I wrote is good is is validating that uh, hopefully I didn't you know, misrepresent Tyrese and what I wrote and about his jump passes or when JJ mentioned the article about Benedict Mathern and the jab step, you're hoping that you're reflecting what they're doing out on the court accurately. So um, yeah, there's definitely some reward there when when you hear something like that and i'm very grateful to them for being willing to do that
1: no, it's, it's well-deserved. I mean, you're doing a great job. You're a great writer. And I always, enjoy, I always learn from you. I mean, I had people texting me today in a group chat that I'm in something you wrote in your mailbag about Jalen Smith and stuff like that. So I was just laughing. I said, I said, yeah, she's coming on the podcast today. So, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just cool, but you do have some merchandise. You're wearing the shirt right now. Maybe I am kinda...
3: wearing the jump passes shirt.
1: Yeah. So jump passes are good. If you guys haven't go ahead and just use this time at, at the beginning, To kind of promote your Patreon, because everybody always saves that stuff for the end, but I think here at the beginning, it'd be awesome for you just to get into all that before we start asking you Pacers questions.
3: Right, so I named the Patreon Basketball, she wrote in part, I don't know how many people know the story, I wrote it in the little piece on the article about the t-shirts, but... When I first started writing at Indie Cornrows, which was in 2013, I've been around, I've been doing this for a while. um, I asked SB Nation and Vox to abbreviate my first name as C. Cooper on there just because it was out of my own paranoia. It had nothing to do with any way that anybody ever treated me in this fan base. I want to make that clear. I just was... You know, a little bit apprehensive that if people knew, oh, this is a woman writing about, you know, the machinations of basketball, maybe I wouldn't be taken as seriously. So I abbreviated my first name and I wasn't doing podcasts for a very long time. Once I started doing it, obviously people at that point knew I was a woman. But um, on my Twitter account, then my avatar, I used uh Riffing off of Murder, She Wrote. I had a typewriter with a piece of paper that said basketball, she wrote, kind of revealing, hey, my pronoun is she, that's my gender. And, you know, there was some surprise when I came out and did that. So now that I'm doing my own thing, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to lean completely into that. That's what I'm going to call and name this. So that's where people can find it. It's Basketball, She Wrote, a blog about the basketball played by the Indiana Pacers is the full name. Um, so far, I did three pieces. I called them hat boxes. If people want to read the note, they can kind of understand. I related that to an episode of Gilmore Girls. But I wrote about every game that the Pacers played while I was out of circulation. So those are free and open for anybody to read that wants to. Those are unlocked. And then over the weekend, um, something that patrons get as a perk is exclusive access to the mailbag. So people ask questions, and I answered all of those, and, and that's up as well. And then if you want a T-shirt, there is a T-shirt post and a link to the Tee Public store where people can go and get that as well.
2: Well, everyone's got to check that out ASAP. And I'm glad, just to Alex's point, that we didn't save that for the end. So go over there, check it out. But starting for the Pacers, I mean, from summer league to now, it feels like it's been two or three different seasons, the highs and the lows. But let's start with Benedict Matherin. I mean, what steps have you seen him take from summer league to now to improve his game?
3: I mean, I think one that I mentioned in the one mailbag article that I've noticed a little bit more and more here is he has gotten some on-ball pick-and-roll reps, especially when Daniel Tice is out there in the games that he plays in. They have like this carousel of front court rotation, as we all know, where one big gets to play every other game or whatever <laughs> we want to call it. Yeah. But he is running some more pick-and-roll and some more handoffs, and Daniel Tice is the best screener on the team. So when he's coming around some of those picks, you notice that he's adjusted his speed. He's willing to change speeds a little bit more where he's very good at decelerating in transition, but now what we're seeing in the pick-and-roll you know, he'll jail his defender. He'll get his guy on his back and make a little bit more decisions that way and be able to make some passes and passing reads that I've noticed like the last three or four games. I think that's a positive step forward. I thought he had some good defensive flashes against Boston for sure. Um, one in particular, we all know good you know, old friend Malcolm Brogdon, one that I pointed out in the article, Malcolm Brogdon. Um, kind of historically, the way that teams will guard him when they want to limit him is to weak him. so you're taking away the middle pick and roll forcing him to his left. And Benedict did that. And he knew that, like he made the switch, he cut off Brogdon's drive, which Brogdon isn't always the best finisher, but he can be like a paint missile getting into the paint. So to see him do that and flip his hips to try to force Brogdon to go to his left, I felt was all very positive. He had a good vertical contest in that game. We've seen him showing a little bit, like, I don't want to say effort because I don't think it's ever that he's not putting out effort on the defensive end, but he can have some, you know, lapses away from the ball. And I think that the last two games, he's been a little bit more positive on that side. I don't think it's linear. I think you can still find mistakes in those areas, but, um, I think that those are two things that have really stood out to me here just lately.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, those are great points. And yeah, Mather, he's really, it looks like he's taken some steps defensively this year from the beginning because you're right. There's times where he'll just be ball watching and guys will cut right behind him. And then he kind of does like the fake little handout, like he didn't see him there or something like that. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's been a struggle and there's probably a reason why he's not started yet. And it might be because of the defense, but uh, speaking of defenses, I've, I've noticed that we've seen some different teams really be able to, you know, eliminate Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, Miami specifically did it when they held Tyrese to just one point here, and then they had another good game against him not too long ago. And then I thought Marcus Smart in that Celtics game. I know it was a high-scoring game. Towards the end, there not allowing the switch to happen. And what kind of things have you noticed that teams with, you know, these stronger defenses are doing to Tyrese that's kind of limiting him and how he can be effective?
3: Right. I think that's a great question. The first game against Miami, I think a lot of it had to do with – You know, you don't want to go head on against Bam Adebayo. You want to try to get him to the weak side, get that switch and move him away. So the Pacers were trying to do some of that, especially in the fourth quarter where they were using like, you know, ghost flare action where, you know, Tyrese is going to be screening the ball as the ghost screener and get out to try to get Bam. Not directly in a pick and roll head to head. And there were a few occasions in that game where I felt like he just wasn't necessarily as aggressive shooting the shot when he had some space which he can tend to do at times. And then we know when he had the 43-point game down in Miami, he was very aggressive taking the three-point shot, especially when he had the switch pocket. So, you know, there's always this little window of space when two defenders switch where before one defender hands you off to the next, that there is room to shoot a three, especially if you have extended range. So that's something that Trey Young does a lot, and that's what Tyrese went to in that game. Well, then Miami made the adjustment. So in the next game against Miami, like if he got a favorable switch against Tyler Hero, they were bringing a trap. Um, so that was in part why I think Benedict didn't play as many minutes in that game because you know Tyler Hero was guarding Andrew Nemhard that way if they did trap Tyrese Andrew's a little bit better at slipping into space and being able to make a read out of that. So that was one way, and then also just Bam is just that good on switches. Um, Mm -hmm. We are seeing a little bit more in all of these games. Like, you know, even down the stretch against Sacramento, it's like, okay, Tyrese gets the switch he wants against Sabonis. They're going switch to blitz. So now we're seeing Kevin Herter come over, or even against Boston. Like, there were times where Tyrese got the switch against Al Horford, and Marcus Smart's coming off Buddy Heald and coming to trap Tyrese. So his field goal attempts have gone down a little bit, but I do think for the most part he's making the right read out of the traps. It's just that, you know, in the long run, You still want your best player to be able to get shots, especially when this team is competitive again and hopefully in a playoff series at some point in time where you want him to still be able to be involved. And that'll come with time where, you know, maybe he's seeing, oh, they're going to bring an extra defender and then he uses his handle to try to avoid those traps. But I definitely think that there's worse things that you can say about a player than, oh, maybe he's a little too trusting of his teammates. So, you know, the negatives that you can say about about Tyrese typically (laughs) aren't that negative.
2: You know, one player who we haven't touched on yet, and no offense to the blind in this world are those who may need a new prescription of glasses, but that would be the only excuse to not see the growth of Miles Turner as a solo five this year. I mean, what about his game this season do you feel has improved the most? And why was it so important for the Pacers to get this deal done, this extension, before Miles tested free agency?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that over the stretch since Tyrese came back from injury that I think I've probably been most impressed by miles of anything that the team's doing. He's just playing really well right now. Um, I, I think one thing that stood out through the full season is how much he's grown with his driving game. Like little by little, like especially in that game against Cleveland, he had nine drives. Like, and most of those are against Jared Allen, which is what you want. Like, if you're, if you have a five man who can drive against the opposing center, that's a backbreaking play because that centers out on the perimeter. There's no rim protector there. And then to even see him against Orlando the other night when he's driving and he makes that pass on the move up over his left shoulder to a guy out in the wing, like that's, that's really impressive. And he started to show like, you know, he can do like a right to left crossover and still be able to get into the paint. He has a little bit of shiftiness to him when he gets in there too. Um And then just his post-game. Like, I will admit, I will take a massive L on that. I did not <laughs> see the post-game that too. he's developed over the last month becoming a thing. In part, not even so much because of the post-moves, which could be a little bit autopilot at times, but more so because he's actually recognizing like, hey, this is an advantageous matchup for me and I'm going to go work and demand the basketball. Like, that's not something we were seeing last year. And like, some of it is, like you said, because he's playing the five. Like, obviously those reps were going to go to Sabonis, but there were times within the offense last year where he would get a switch and he wouldn't do anything about it. Like, he wouldn't even recognize, oh, this is advantageous for me to go use a swim move and get to the block. And now, like, we're watching in Orlando and they're deliberately running, like, buddy setting those wedge screens for miles to slide to the block. And if he doesn't get the ball there, then they set a cross screen for him to come to the other block and get on the post. So to see him going hard at Wendell Carter jr, to see him scoring a driving floating jump shot over Marcus smart, like Marcus smart was a tough post switch defender. And it's as impressive as it was to see miles make eight, three pointers in that game. Like that might've been his most impressive feat. So yeah, I mean, I think, I, again, I will take another L. I didn't think that he was probably going to sign an extension based on what was being reported over the summer or headed into the season, but to get that done and to have him under contract with the score, I think, you know, very positive thing. Gives them both sides a lot of flexibility, good way to use their cap space, all positive.
2: We're all taking L's there. No one thought this deal was going to get done, and especially for the amount that it did. I mean, I felt like this was just an all-around win for the Pacers, and you know, we needed one after, you know, what we've been through the last couple of years. So it was awesome to see.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and one thing too, you know, Miles, I think the team has kind of had to change maybe how they approach the uh the, the season going into because we know I, I remember you talking about it, Caitlin, with Jalen Smith, you know, being projected as a starting power forward. So now he's hardly getting minutes. And we saw him actually get some backup minutes against the Magic. I think that's partially because of the the style they play. But, you know, since Tice has come back, he's been getting most of the backup minutes. But it's just playing four guards and Turner has kind of been the recipe for success for this team. And it's a, it's a bit shocking that it's worked so well because, I mean, defensively, you think this team should be a lot worse than they are. And they're not good. I mean, I get that. But they've been able to mask a lot of the holes, I feel like. But it's just A lot of it comes to not being able to switch smaller defenders on miles on the perimeter like we had seen uh, happening when Jalen Smith was out there with him.
3: Yeah. I mean, that was a big part of it. That seven game road trip where they went out west, I feel like, is when that really came into focus because, you know, they're playing the Clippers. Zubots is guarding Jalen Smith and just daring them to shoot and standing in the lane and kind of cluttering the pick and roll for Miles. And then if they played the pick and roll with Miles, the Clippers were just switching it. And then the same thing, Sacramento did the same thing. They put Sabonis on Jalen Smith and put the smaller guy on Miles. Denver even tried that. They put Jokic on Jalen Smith. And then, you know, it marginalizes what Miles can do in addition to, you know, what Jalen's shooting has been throughout the season I did think that Jalen had nice minutes the other night against Orlando I don't want it to sound like I think that he hasn't done anything well this season he played well against the Bulls before the all-star break as well too but yeah defensively I mean that's that's an interesting talking point because we talk so much about the difference that you know Miles playing offensively at the five has made in terms of you know he's now being able to shoot against centers and drop or being able to go against a guard on a switch instead of being defended by fours. But when we think about it defensively, the Pacers have done a lot different with his role at that end of the floor as well. Like before it was just, you know, under Nate McMillan or even last year, a lot of the time too, you know, he's defending the opposing team's five and they're funneling all the pick and roll action to him and swallowing up pick and rolls. And now we're seeing him being assigned to low usage wings a lot, or they're practically using him in like spy defense where he drops really far off of opposing fives especially if they're not a shooting threat because they have to keep him low all the time because they have four small guards out there he has to stay around the basket so in terms of him being a roaming big that's been a big adjustment for him as well now I do think that you can start seeing some cracks in it not necessarily because of miles but just because teams are getting smarter at how they're attacking it but that's been another big shift for him too you
2: know we talked about earlier about the four guards I mean the Pacers they're guard heavy. They are. How do you envision this Pacers log jam at guard going into the offseason where Buddy is in a contract year? You want Mather to take a leap forward. You also could have four picks in the top 32. I mean, what do we do about that log jam at the guard spot?
3: Yeah, because I mean, when you look ahead, I think that you probably imagine like, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but let's the three of us just pretend that Buddy Heald isn't on this roster anymore, just for a second. Like, who do you both think that the Pacers would start if it's not Buddy Heald?
2: Mather. Like, I mean it should you gotta, be you gotta put Matherin in there. It's... Exactly.
3: So then you think that they're probably still gonna start Andrew Nemhart as well?
2: For
1: now, Tyrese... I mean depending on who they who else they have on the roster. Yeah, the who draft, else they draft. draft.
3: But if the roster was the same as now, I agree with you. Like I think that they're still gonna start Andrew Nemhart and that they would move Benedict Matherin into the starting lineup because Nemhart's so important to what they do defensively so that Tyrese doesn't have to guard, you know, opposing point of attack defenders or the opposing team's best assignment. So in that regard, like if Chris Duarte still isn't going to be a starter for you, and I understand why, like at what point in time, and it sounds like they at least thought about the idea. I mean, the Obi top and rumors were out there. Other stuff was out there about Chris, but like, I think that you probably, that's probably where I would look to be potentially making a move because he is older. And if there's not going to be a, an opportunity for him to move into the starting lineup, I think that that's probably something that you might, a way that you could thin out the rotation a little bit. And in addition to that, like, you know he struggled throughout the season and that's not all his fault like he's had injuries off and on and and obviously you know benedict Matherin playing the way that he has 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 made things a little bit tougher on him too but when you look at some of his numbers from last year like most of his shots at the rim a lot of what he do- did was facilitated by sabonis they don't really have a player like that that he can play two-man game with, and I do think that that's impacted him to a certain degree. You can see that the coaching staff's made some adjustments and has run some plays to try to help him get started in games, especially during stretches when he has struggled. But um, that that's kind of the guy that I'm keeping an eye on because before the season started, I felt very positively about Chris. Like I even wrote a thing about what he had done with the Dominican – Republic's national team in FIBA, I know you guys watched him play in some of those games as well, and I, I felt like his patience in the pick and roll was a lot better, and some of that just hasn't really shown up as the season has gone on, and there's a lot of factors for that, but um, that's kind of the guy that I'm watching at. If, if they feel like they need to not be playing eight guards anymore, especially depending upon who they draft and what else they do in free agency, that he kind of seems like he's going to be the odd man out to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're just going to have to make some space on this roster to, to add some more wings because there's not a ton of roster spots available based on who's going to be a free agent and that kind of thing. So, you know, uh, they, they, did make a trade, which I was disappointed that we didn't get to hear you talk about it when it happened. And it was, you know, taking on the money to, uh, to acquire George Hill, Jordan Moore and Serge Ibaka getting three second round picks with that. And then of course, waving Goga, uh, Terry Taylor, and then James Johnson, who they ended up bringing back because they had that roster spot available after waving Serge, but, uh, felt like this trade was basically centered around getting those extra second round picks and then maybe taking a flyer on Jordan Moore and so we we've seen him in a few different games here what have been your overall thoughts on him just early on and do you think he's a long-term piece here maybe as a as a backup wing for this team
3: Yeah, so I think the Magic game is probably the best one to look at because it was his best scoring outing, but also it seemed like he was more comfortable offensively. Like, a lot of those cuts that he was making, like, those aren't necessarily scripted cuts. The Pacers have some automatics where, like, you know, if if TJ drives baseline, then then you cut from the 45 angle. Like, that's an automatic that they want to look for. But I felt like he was making good reads with that and cutting on penetration. But, you know, defensively, there were some issues. Um, There was one possession in particular that I think in the third quarter, like, Interestingly enough, he can be kind of nimble against smaller guards on occasion. Like he actually got a stop against Markel Foltz. And then I think there was a missed shot and the magic got like a long rebound and, and now it was it was Wagner who had the ball and like you could see Ronald Noir like immediately yelling at Benedict Mathern, like, get to the nail, get to the nail, like red alert. There's no way that Jordan <laughs> Noir is going to get a stop in this situation. And and so they were crowding in on the space pretty well, but you know he also got beat pretty handedly off the dribble by Bancaro a couple times and and Bulbow. So defensively, there's gonna be some stuff to learn. I did think in his very first game that they had a nice little piece of help switching between him and him and George Hill. But offensively, like when they play flow game, having somebody who can make the timely cuts that he was making the other night crash from the wings to get putbacks, and you know theoretically be able to shoot the three maybe better than what o'shea has done since the beginning of january like there's a fit there but then i kind of look ahead of what you guys were just mentioning that like we all know that this team's going to need to add wings at some point i think that they still are looking for their long-term answer as the starting power forward position like if aaron neesmith does slide back to the bench then, you know, where does does Wara's minutes necessarily come from. But um, I understand from the perspective of what they try to do offensively, why they went and looked at him, especially since they know that O'Shea Brissett's going to be an unrestricted free agent. I think there is a little bit of overlap between the two of them in terms of the way that they play and the way that they're kind of opportunistic and resourceful players. But um, yeah, I mean, he played well against the Magic, and he contributed in ways that weren't just shot making, which was good to see. That way, you know, if he does have a bad shooting night, like he did against the Bulls, that there is other things that he can do.
2: You know, we we talked about yeah, you know, those were the that was the trade that the Pacers made, but the idea of the trade deadline, it's always this magical idea, and maybe you know, expectations could have been blown out of proportion based off of last year landing Tyrese Halliburton. This year, maybe not the, the sexiest package you brought in back, but it was a smart one, accumulated some assets. However, Kevin Pritchard talked about that the team sent out some, quote, aggressive offers. And obviously this quote is, it takes two to tango. Obviously, we couldn't find that trade partner uh, for a bigger star. But what players do you think maybe the
3: Pacers targeted? And did we might make the right move standing pat? I'm guessing some calls were placed up to Toronto. Um, <laughs> I'm guessing some calls were placed up to Toronto for OG Ananobi. I mean, I think that that was, I don't know what picks they would have offered. I think it was reported that they offered three picks or that various teams had offered three picks. I don't, I obviously don't know that for sure, but um, I think OG Ananobi fits pretty like a glove into that four spot of what the Pacers would need in terms of having somebody who could actually defend against bigger wings. I mean, we talk, Defensively, you know, they rank 30th in opponent offensive rebounding rate, and they also foul a lot and we can point and look at those two things and be like you know how can they improve the rebounding but there is a realm where it's like okay for as much as these small guard lineups have to trap and have to be constantly kind of in scramble mode or always have to be pulling over to the nail and rotating out of that if you have somebody who can actually you know have defensive stands and you can move og on an around quite a bit whether that's against wings or that's against guards and you're actually keeping the ball out on the perimeter there's a possibility that the rebounding gets better because you're not giving up gaps on the defensive end as much with all of your heavy rotation. So it's, it's not necessarily the thing that that four man has to be like an elite rebounder. If you can improve the defense in other ways, then maybe they aren't constantly sending guys to the free throw line and maybe they aren't giving up as many second chance points as they currently are. So, and then, you know, just what OG on an does is like a second side guy, um, being able to come off of pin downs and curl those actions like that's going to fit really well with Tyrese Halliburton and then being able to just hit shots off the catch as well. Um, I can totally understand why those calls were made, assuming that they were made, which I think they probably were. Just a quick
2: follow up on that. Did you ever buy into the John Collins hype? Because it felt like at one point it could have had legs, but I just don't know if it would have made sense to match whatever asking price Atlanta had for Collins.
3: Yeah, for me, the John Collins thing, like it feels like the big theme of this season was, you know, obviously they exceeded expectations more than, you know, I thought they were going to at the beginning of the season, but that, you know, they were going to break from the ways that the Pacers had operated in the past in terms of not being a tough out anymore and maybe being willing to take a step back in order to take a step forward. It seemed that they were setting expectations along the lines that the season wasn't going to be about wins and losses. It was going to be about growth. And to me, the John Collins trade kind of felt like how the Pacers have operated in the past Mm -hmm. that you go get this guy and it becomes a more complimentary core. And I do think that John Collins would make them better, but how much better. Mm -hmm. And I, like you said, it would depend on what you were giving up in order to get him. Maybe that doesn't hamstring you a lot, but I, I think, think bigger. And if you're telling me that you have to give up, you know, more picks in order to get OG on an OB, I would be more willing to take a big swing to do that because I think it solves more problems than what, john collins would have but that's just my opinion
1: no and i agree with that i mean the 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 thing about picks is they're they're nice but at the same time you just never know what you're gonna get out of the pick i mean even if you have a top five player it's still a mystery because not everybody pans out i mean look at just jared culver a couple years ago i think he was like the sixth or seventh overall pick by the timberwolves and he's just trying to find a g league team to hang on to right now because it's just been uh tough for him and it's not a guarantee that just because you get a top pick that it's gonna translate into something so you know, I get that, the sentiment of people saying, ah, you know, trade for what you know, you're going to get in a player in an OG and an So uh that that's really interesting to me. But you talked about a tough out as well. And, you know, I thought Kevin Pritchard for the first time was making sense in his press conference after the trade deadline when he said, we don't want to be eighth, ninth, or tenth. You know, we really think we have something special here, but, you know, we don't want to fall into that where we're going to be a first round exit. Uh, how far away do you think this team really is from being, you know, not a playing team?
3: for being back in a playoff position and having a first, at least having a first round series. Yeah. like one through um, six, I guess you could say. I guess it depends what they would be able to do in free agency and, and how high they selected in the draft. I mean, we know what their record, I don't have the number in front of me, but I do not believe their record against 500 teams has been very rosy this year. Um, obviously, when Tyrese was out, that kind of, turned the lights on, I guess I should say they looked a little bit different in the light when he wasn't available. And since he's come back and the ways that I feel that teams have adjusted against them as the season has gone on has been illuminating as well in terms of how close they are. Um, If they were able to add, you know, like I said, don't want to harp on it too much, but a guy like OG Ananobi and they make a really solid pick in the draft as well. um, I think they could be a playoff team next year. Yeah. Now, how good will they be in the playoffs? I don't know, because that's going to depend on what else the Eastern Conference does. But I think that they could potentially be there. I mean, they're they they were for, they're further ahead right now than I thought they were going to be, mm-hmm. even though that they are not in playoff, play-in position. I think that from an overall team standpoint, they're a better team than I expected that they were going to be when the season started. I think
2: we all numbed ourselves to what the lows could be coming into the season. <laughs> like, expectations were set, so... The highs were great early on, and I felt like I saw enough in the first 20, 30 games to say, okay, wow, we're going to be all right. Tyrese is the real deal. Matherin, stud in the making. But, like, when you're going to the draft, and and I could be wrong, but I'm getting the feeling we're all in agreement. Four picks, the top 32, it's a bit too much. You got to do something with it. What are you a fan of doing with those picks? You talked about maybe going after O.G., are you all about consolidating and moving up, or is it just two two picks maybe, a pick maybe fifth, sixth overall and in the teens? What do you think the Pacers should do with those picks?
3: This is going to sound very rudimentary, but I think whatever they do in the summer, and I hope that this continues to be their mentality, is whatever's going to give them the highest possible ceiling in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I think. Without having further knowledge of exactly where the picks are going to be at, I can't specifically say, but yeah, I mean I would be willing to trade them if for the right player. Mm-hmm. Like I would have been willing to trade those picks, uh I, so, sorry, there's a noise going on here. Um <laughs> sorry if you have to edit that out. Um yeah, I would I would be willing to trade them for a player. I haven't given this this actual question that much uh, brain power yet. I did a mailbag this week and I told people like you're not gonna be able to ask me about the draft yet. I haven't I don't have the bandwidth to to fully go there.
1: Yeah, no, I get it. We've been getting a lot of those on our mailbags, too. And it's just yeah. like, yeah, it's like, you know, it does make sense to, like, package all, like the, 20, like, the Cavs, the Celtics, and the Rockets pick to move up. But, like, how far does it really get you up? And, you know, uh, do you have to include a player? Like, would you include Duarte in that trade and move back up into the lottery? Like, you know, it's all hypothetical stuff. Now, uh, it's tough to say. But with Aaron Neesmith, this is a guy that we just did an interview with before he came on, and that's going to be airing later on the show, uh, the, on the podcast this week. But... I'm just curious because what have you noticed from the beginning of the year to now? Because there was points at the beginning of the year where me and Fauci were just both kind of like, I don't know if he's the right fit here because he wasn't hitting any of his shots. It just kind of felt like it was just quirky a little bit. Just felt like, you know, not a a great fit. Like, okay, do we really just trade Brogdon for a guy that's really not going to be able to help us that much? And then he's really just catapulted himself. Uh, in terms of just being efficient offensively and uh, defensively. So what have you noticed that he's done differently from the beginning of the year to now?
3: Yeah, I mean, a little bit he's been a bit of the unsung hero in terms of how they turned their season around. Like, he's the guy that was able to go in and play at the four when the stuff with Miles and Jalen wasn't exactly working. Um, Offensively, I would say, I mean, I named him... My last article that I wrote at Indy Cornrows was about guys who I felt had made the most improvement. So I think when you watched him in summer league, and what I've noticed a lot from him in general is, you know, his attack of closeouts wasn't always great. Like, there's a lot of east-west in his drives where, you know, if he's driving from around the corner where you might even see him get his foot clear up on the free throw line, which is not what you want to see. You want to see a lot more direct angle there. And his left hand can be a little bit dicey when he's putting the ball on the floor. He needs to finish on that angle. But the difference is when he's going out there and he's playing at the four, like the highlight dunk that we all know of, of when he got past Evan Mobley and then dunked over Jared Allen at the basket, like he's attacking fours now. So he has a little bit of a speed advantage to get by those bigger forwards that we weren't necessarily seeing at the beginning of the season. So that's, that's been a good adjustment for him. And then defensively, like I said before, we talk about, you know, what miles does offensively, but not the change with miles defensively, like. We'll see, you know, at the end of that Bulls game, like Aaron D. E. Smith was guarding Nikola Vucevic throughout the entire back end of that so that they could have him, like, if they if Vucevic goes to set a pick, he can switch out to the guard because he's able to guard both sides. He was really fighting to prevent post-ups against Vucevic, which is really important if you're going to play small guard lineups. And then, you know, he makes the right decisions when Jalen or Miles or Isaiah Jackson come over to scram him out. He knows how to rotate and get out of that. So... I think defensively he makes a pretty big difference for them in that stuff being able to work. Um, Nemhard can do some of that too, but they don't have a lot of guys that it's like, like I said, like somebody asked me, you know, why isn't O'Shea Brissett playing? Or, you know, why isn't this guy playing? Well, you gotta, you gotta remember what the foreman has to do defensively. And that role suits Aaron Neesmith a lot better than the other guys. So yeah, I mean, his shot can be up and down. I mean, we've seen that fluctuate a lot. Some of it has to do because he's kind of a hop step shooter. If he doesn't get that hop in when he gets the catch, he can be a little bit off balance and then it kind of affects his release at times. But um, he certainly had stretches where he shot the ball Better than we've seen in the past. I've been
2: thoroughly impressed with Neesmith. He went from being, you know, young with upside to, hey, like this guy is hustling and I want that to be contagious to the rest of the team. So obviously we've got a, a long way to go defensively. But one player that we really didn't get to touch on that I really expected more from in year two Isaiah Jackson. Uh, look, we knew he was raw, but we also knew that the upside was him through the roof this is a guy that could you know catch any alley you block any shot but playing time has has been hard to come by for him for uh, Ajax what do you think he needs to do to be a consistent rotational player for the Pacers moving forward
3: yeah I mean he that that's a tough thing because I think a good game to look at would be the Hawks game when all those starters were out and he started and had all those blocks because that was kind of like you know, feast or famine. Like, he's either rotating over the basket and getting all of these blocks, blocking every shot in sight, or it's like, you know, a Okongwu's getting every lot behind him when he's having to guard at the five spot. So there was a few things that they did in that game where I think defensively, it's tough to pinpoint like what pick and roll coverage should you play with Isaiah Jackson? Because when he's in drop, he's not great at playing the cat and mouse game. And sometimes he either commits too much to the ball or he, he doesn't know the exact level he needs to be at. So that can be kind of rough. And then as a switch big, like that's kind of what he was billed at. I think everybody kind of expected that he was going to be this guy who could switch one through five. And he does move his feet while on the perimeter. And his ground coverage is obviously really impressive too. Like we can all remember like the game in Golden State when they won on the road and he got the big stop against Steph. Curry out on the perimeter. Well, they were crowding behind him, so it was going to be hard for Steph to drive past him, which is why Steph stayed on the perimeter more, but um, he still can take some bad angles, some wrong steps, but in that Hawks game, especially when the Hawks went to Spain pick and roll, like they would have Isaiah Jackson step out above the level. And late in the Phoenix game when it was garbage time and they kind of cut the lead and Monty Williams had to put the starters back in, they were having him hedge out on pick and rolls. And because he can move so well and kind of force negative dribbles, that was leading to some hang time passes where then guys were stealing the passes to the screener. So that was kind of interesting to me that maybe that helps him stay on the floor a little bit more at the five spot. If you can play a more aggressive pick and roll coverage with him and kind of lean into his ability to pounce rather than him having to be reactive. And then all season long, I've wanted to see minutes between he and Miles at the same time, and we just mm-hmm. haven't gotten to that. It's only 13 minutes so far, I think, on the whole year, because the one game they did it against the Pelicans, I wrote an article, and I was like, hey, maybe this is going to happen. <laughs> yeah.
0: it,
3: it really didn't, <laughs> but like I was going to be interested to see that, because I really do think that Isaiah Jackson's best skills as a defender overall, you know, are his event creation, whether it's getting steals or it's getting blocks, and him rotating over to get the blocks is like a weak side rim protector, but the problem is when he does that is there's nobody else out there to then, you know, if he's having to roam off of whether they assign him to DeJounte Murray or, you know, they did that with Shetty Osmond a few times, like his closeouts cannot be great when he has to get back out to those shooters. And, you know, if Miles is out there in the lineups with him, then Miles can stay low to the basket and he can be more aggressive in those roles. But it doesn't seem like they want to go and look at that for whatever reason. So um, that's kind of tough. That that would help him get minutes if they were willing to play double big in in certain settings. But um, that's kind of the things defensively. Offensively, I think that there's times where he can kind of overcomplicate the simple. It's interesting because he's not left handed, but he wants to do a lot of things with his left hand. Like he could have an easy drop step and he will pivot around to get to a hook shot with his left. On the few occasions where he does put the ball down on the ground, like if he catches it at the top of the key where he's supposed to go into a handoff, he'll put the ball on the floor with his left to try to attack the basket. So that's interesting given that he's a right-handed shooter, but I feel like there's times where he could make post moves easier for himself and he makes it uh, a bit more difficult. There's even sometimes where he does that as a passer, where he can make some pretty impressive passes at times, like where you're like, oh, he just passed that through two defenders, but oh, wait, Chris Duarte was right open right behind him. Like, he could have just tossed it two feet, and he threw, like, a really impressive dart to the other side of the court. But, um, yeah, that's kind of what I see offensively and defensively. But, you know, it's kind of an overall summary of, like, I'm still not sure I totally understand what he is. Like, Mm. they kind of talked when they drafted him that they saw him as a four, and that's not really the way they've used him at all. Like, he's kind of predominantly played at the five, and then at the five he's kind of undersized. So... Um, we'll have to see how that shakes out, and wh- how the entire front court rotation shakes out in terms of where his minutes are going to come from.
1: Yeah, I mean, just quick follow up on that because I, I was curious. Do you think they're going to have to pick between him and Jalen Smith moving forward?
3: Yeah, I mean, it depends if the, you know if they can find maybe a trade partner for Daniel Tice if they continue to play him games. Maybe there's somebody over the summer who's interested in that since he's going to be an expiring contract next year. Maybe maybe that becomes a little bit uh, more than what, whatever was the case for his market at the trade deadline but it feels like they're going to have to make a choice there. Eventually you can't keep playing these guys, you know, okay, tonight it's Jalen Smith's turn and tomorrow night it's Isaiah Jackson's (laughs) turn. And, you know, now it's Daniel Tice, which they do all offer different things. I mean, I had pointed that out. Like I do think that Daniel Tice does help Benedict Mathern in certain circumstances in terms of developing some of his on ball reps, but that doesn't do anything for Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith. And you drafted Isaiah Jackson. So they targeted him, they moved up to get him in the draft. And now he only plays like one out of every three or four games.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it it seems problematic, and I and I don't understand either why they won't just try it out at the four a little bit with next to miles. It's very confusing to me, and I think Carlisle even said it last year that J uh, that uh, Isaiah is a five. I believe I believe him saying that uh, post game. I forget against which team. It's all running together in my head now, but I do remember him like specifically saying like, "No, we view him as a five, not a four. So, you know, president can think what he wants. The coach thinks something else. So you just gotta be able to see eye to eye on that one, but you know, another guy that we talked about about him a little bit earlier was Andrew Nimhard. And this is someone we've had on our podcast twice this year, and he's just an awesome guy to root for. We've really seen some growth from him. And then we saw his struggles as well when Tyrese was out. And when we asked him, uh, you know, who do you kind of think you could be like? He said, Drew Holiday. And what's even funnier is we had David Thorpe on our podcast. And he said that Andrew's game reminds him a lot of Drew Holidays. And now Drew's having a fantastic season. So it's kind of like a lot to live up to, but do you see some of the same things that they're seeing in terms of, you know, maybe being a Drew Holiday level player, or do you think, you know, he's got a long ways to go before he's at that level?
3: I really like Andrew Nemhard a lot. Um, I think that the way that you would describe him most on both ends of the floor, if you were going to, is that, you know, he likes to play off of contact and he's very physical. And I think that's probably the way that you would describe Drew Holiday as well. Like he doesn't have the same physical build as Drew Holiday, But, you know, when he's playing offensively, he likes to play off of contact and get to that step back. He's not somebody that necessarily punches the ball to the rim. Defensively, there's just so many nuanced things that he does on that end of the floor that I don't know if everybody always notices. Like, they want to push pick and rolls to the side of the floor. He's very good at flipping his hips to do that quickly to get that action to the side. Like, he's probably the best player on the team at that. Um, I talk it's a very nuanced little thing but he's very good at defending ghost screens too Um, he does something that I don't see a lot of people in the league do like when we talk about ghost screens like it's either you're going to switch it or you're not going to switch it and if you're going to switch it like a lot of times people will open their stance and funnel it into that guy but what Andrew does is when the guy goes to go set the ghost screen like he'll be very physical with them and then he pushes the guy to actually set the screen rather than just slipping out into space so if people watch you can see him do that like and he does it very subtly so it's just a little bit of a nudge so that he doesn't get called for a foul. And once that guy actually sets it, the whole thing becomes more static. It's easier for the Pacers to switch it. So there's little like minutia things like that, that he does that I just feel like need to be magnified more because as a rookie, like you're not supposed to be as good defensively as he is as a rookie, um, being able to do vertical contests, what we saw him do against the Lakers game against LeBron, being able to defend up positions and really get into the legs of bigs at times. Um, I think those are things that you would probably describe Drew Holiday as. So I don't, I don't think the comp's, you know, that far off. Do I think that Andrew right now can do what Drew Holiday can do, like in terms of how Drew pretty much dismantled the Pacers at the end of that game on Martin Luther King Day, where he was just torching every switch and getting to every yeah. step back? Like, I don't think Andrew's necessarily there yet. I mean, he was at the end of the game against Golden State, but I don't think he's necessarily there consistently. He did have some hiccups the other night. I don't know. You guys probably noticed it as well late in that game. Um, overtime offensively against Boston, where he was a little bit hesitant Mm -hmm. when he caught it in the corner the one time. And then, you know, he had an open three and he took a rhythm dribble. I'm very against rhythm dribbles. Like when you're open, just catch it, and just shoot it. And then he ended up missing it after that. And then I think he had one other error late in that game too. But um, overall, I think like Andrew surprised me a lot. Like I didn't watch a lot of Gonzaga last year. We didn't do a draft pod on Andrew. So I hadn't really delved into him very deeply, but he's also cut out a lot of those like gambling back taps that he kind of had a reputation for, and that he was even doing at the beginning of the season. So I didn't see a lot of of what we've seen. I definitely didn't think he was going to be a starter for the Pacers this year. So (laughs) I think, I think very positively of him.
2: Yeah. I think everyone was in that same boat of like, you know, he didn't have that name coming out of college. You're Oh my God. Wow. Andrew Nemhard at pick 31. It was kind of like, Hmm. All right. Well, we already have Tyrese. What are they going to do there? But Pacers absolutely struck gold at, in the second round with Andrew Nemhard. it's been awesome, but I can't tell if maybe it's us getting older and this team getting younger, but it has been a lot of fun this year. I mean, what's been some of the, the fun moments for you watching this team that really sticks out for the, this season?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think this definitely has like other than like the 17-18 year as far as just like overall team chemistry. I think that's kind of something that like that's not something that I would necessarily write about in terms of like my X's and O's. But just like watching the guys on the bench genuinely enjoy each other Mm -hmm. has been something that's been really fun to watch, I think. And then like obviously the really big moments like Tyrese's 43-point game that was great to write about because that's a great story of player development. To see what he did against the Heat the first time and then watch the adjustments that he made and that the coaching staff had made to really get him free and obviously, you know, It helps when you're making shots, but, you know, like I said before, like him hunting the shot, the switch pocket and being that aggressive to actually look for a shot, given what we knew of him last year, where he only led the team in shot attempts like three times after he came over from the trade. That was one of my favorite games of the year. Um, And then probably Miles' 40 point game the other night against Boston. That's going to stick in my head for a very long time. Um, Just seeing him do so many things that we haven't really expected of him at the five, like he's shooting threes off movement. He's getting one dribble threes, what I said earlier about him against Marcus Smart in the post. Like, that, that was a pretty big triumph for him as well. So probably those games, I think, stand out to me the most. And little moments, you know, stuff that Benedict Matherin does. Like, I don't think we always think of him as, like, the way that we think of athleticism typically is like in the form of burst but he is super athletic in a lot of different ways his body control his way to weave through defenders um, you know he bends into contact kind of like a sunflower bends to the sun um and then like you know sometimes there'll be times where he gets a second jump and he can out jump Bulbul for an offensive rebound it's like what the heck did I just watch <laughs> um so yeah I, I think you know there's been a lot of positive things that I could probably come up with but people don't need to listen to me ramble for like 20 minutes but uh,
1: no I mean it's we've been missing you on the mic so please ramble <laughs> for 20 minutes but uh, just to kind of end it here I'm gonna leave it open to you I know we threw a lot at you just asking different things is there anything maybe that that you've noticed or that you wanted to bring up that we didn't ask you about.
3: Oh boy, I think we covered almost every player, did we not? Almost trying to run through yeah. my head, did it's did like we?
1: A, we didn't. We didn't talk much about Buddy. I would say.
3: And oh, we, we didn't talk much about Buddy. I and Buddy even broke Reggie Miller's record. I really should have brought that up. Um, yeah,
2: it's been a yeah, fun I mean, season. I mean, things like that. Just you know, we miss him. and there's oh. not that much to cheer about.
3: Franchise changing records, and I don't even bring him up. Yeah, I mean, my favorite thing about Buddy is the way that he respaces the floor. I will say that. I think that he's one of the best players in the NBA at knowing when to go set a go screen. Knowing when to get out of the way, knowing when just to make like a quick button hook that makes a wider gap from Tyrese. And I also actually kind of genuinely enjoy watching them bicker on the court on occasion. Yes. Uh, where they'll really where they'll really get at each other about whether buddy should come set a screen or not. Cause you just know that it's in, you know, how much they genuinely enjoy each other, that they're willing to get on each other that much. Um, is something that I I actually kinda like watching.
2: I think Tyrese following Buddy into the three point contest was just like the ultimate. Like, it felt like a TV show. Like, these two, they're just like always going at it. They're so competitive with each other. And to to make it into the final three was awesome. Uh, But, Caitlin, as we close out, I mean, it has been awesome. It's been, you know, uh, an honor to have you on our show. Uh, Everybody obviously missed you, but great to have this type of collab. So, please tell everybody once again where they could find you on social media, some of the awesome content that you have coming up.
3: Right, so my handle's at C2 underscore Cooper. Um, All my links will be there. The link to the Patreon is there. And then, like I said, I did two, I tried to answer every single person's mailbag question, so it ended up being two posts long. If people want to go back and read about all the other games, there's three posts on that. Um, And then I I don't really want to put limits on it. People have asked, like, what can we expect from the blog? I think genuinely what I want to do with it is I think the writing will be better and more interesting when what I write about is what I'm interested in. Um, so if I watch a game and I see something really cool that I want to tell people about, like, that's what it's going to be about, but it's, it's not going to be like a a regular, like this is when the column's going to be, because I don't want to fit film to a specific thing. I want the film to tell the story that then I need to go tell everybody else. So that's kind of my mission with it. Well,
1: well. I'm excited. I'm already subscribed. I'm a Patreon follower. So I, uh, you're taking my money. Thank you. I'm Thank gladly, you. I, gladly I giving it a that. So yeah, I uh I try not to spend too much, you know, like it just adds up when you start going through different ones, but I uh I canceled my Mark Stein substack subscription and uh Oh wow, you,
3: you've canceled Mark for me? Yes,
1: I did. And uh not Mark Schindler, I did not cancel him, <laughs> but uh Mark Stein I did, you know, and honestly I, I listened to his podcast too, so I mean a lot of that's repeat in there as well. But, yeah, no. I just wanted to say you're doing a great job, and it's been an honor to have you on. We've been wanting to do this for a while, and I know we talked about it earlier in the year, and then got kind of pushed off your busy. But, you know, I, I don't think it'd be a Caitlin Cooper podcast, though, if we didn't let you close it out talking
2: about Outshine Popsicles.
3: Okay, uh, I do want to talk about Outshine Popsicles. How okay. Have you both had them, and what is your favorite flavor?
2: I have not, but I think i got to get on it because I'm here. You're so boring, man. Boys.
3: I mean. So, I,
1: I actually had never tried them until I listened to the pod. And so then I, I think the first one I got was mango. And I actually liked it quite a bit. So I, I bought a couple boxes of it. And then I've been trying to lose weight. So I did a uh, – I was, like, trying to find – they're not really that bad. Just a lot of sugar in some of them. But I ended up doing, like, the sugar-free raspberry one, I think. It, I actually really like that, too. I just think they're very fresh-tasting. like that, That's it, my overall it, consensus on it. You
3: can't go back to other popsicles once you've got a out, I, like, I'm not a big popsicle here.
1: person anyway that's just not me i'm more ice cream so uh cutting that back has been hard so that i honestly i haven't tried a ton but i i was kind of intrigued to try the 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 one with the, the was it the tation? Is that how you say that? I'm not the tajine, sure. The tahine,
3: the tahine. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. those are experiential. Like, <laughs> I really can't describe what that, what that was quite like. <laughs> I don't think the flavor was that bad. Mark thought the flavor was very bad. Mm. I don't think the flavor was that bad. I think it was more the sensation of having hot ice in your mouth. Like, you didn't really know what to do with it. So yeah. I had a dinner party and let people try it, and it did not get reviewed well. I will tell <laughs> people that. I do not personally think there is a such thing as a bad outshine popsicle. I think they're all good. There's just some I like more. <laughs> I think strawberry, grape, and peach are the top three. The raspberry is very sweet. So I'm kind of yeah. surprised that you liked it. I mean, I guess you had sugar-free, but the raspberry yeah. overall is a very sweet one. Coconut's very sweet, too. Coconut's like a dessert popsicle. So okay. I would tell Michael, yeah, since you've never had one, you got to go for the strawberry first.
2: Okay. my my wife adores ice cream. I mean, it's a it's a you know a nightly a or every other night type of she, thing. She's so-
1: pregnant too. Give her credit. She's not just a fatty. Okay,
2: <laughs> no, no, <laughs> of course, yes. She definitely has you know the pregnancy cravings, so she will love this. So strawberry. What do you say? Coconut. There was another.
3: Yeah, my top three. Number one, strawberries, the goat popsicle. That's a staple. I always have a box of strawberry in my fridge. And then I have one other box of another one that usually takes me longer to finish. So right now I think I have the peach. But strawberry, grape, and peach are my top three. But I, I like them all. The le- sure. The plain lemon is also really good.
1: So the ones that I got, she hates. So that's her least favorite, mango, and probably <laughs> no, raspberry. no. I
3: like I like the mango, but my least favorite one is is the mango with tahini. But then after that, my least favorite one is probably um either the lime. The lime's pretty intense if you've never had an outshine one yet before. Okay. And then the raspberry's a little bit sweet, just for me personally. Yeah. The pineapple is right. also really good. There, there's a long list of outshine. We,
1: we got to do like a player comp, pacer comp to outshine popsicle thing. I, I'm sure you've done that before, but are, I've done
3: you, it. I've done it. Yeah.
1: Okay. It sounds
2: saying. like something that you would have covered by now. But yeah, I never heard these descriptions. A little intense, you know, a little bit hot. Like it's, wow, you know, for popsicles. Look, I guess I've been out of the game for a bit. I got to get into it because I want to experience this big. You know what? Caitlin warned me about this and she was right. So I will have to update you. <laughs>
3: And there there. is a recipe at the Patreon. There is a recipe. My sister and I have started making craft popsicles once I had tried all the flavors because they need more flavors. So we made a blueberry lemonade one. Hmm, That sounds right up my alley. Yeah, it's a Pacer-themed blueberry lemonade popsicle. It was the best popsicle I've ever had. So if people want to go get the ingredients and try it, the recipe is there.
1: Absolutely. I think next time we have you on, Foch is going to have to give you an updated ranking of his favorite popsicles. That uh, sounds appropriate. You at least yeah. have to try one. You can't just oh, yeah. come back not trying any. See, I mean.
3: Alex is the only person I'll that's listened it. to me and gone and tried because I was on Tony's show over the summer and Tony told me he had not tried them yet. Yeah. I was See, like, I'm not an influencer then. I've influenced no one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Hey, I will get on it. That's my word to you. Uh, I'll let you know which one I go with. Uh, raspberry seems like it's, you know, towards the top. So I think that's what R- I'm That's
1: strawberry. Strawberry. Strawberry oh, raspberry. is the goat. Right. We attention. did go
2: through six or seven flavors. I mean, it sounded good. So, you know, <laughs> strawberry.
1: All right, Caitlin, we'll quit talking to you about this, but thank you so much. We appreciate it and we uh, hope to do it again soon.
3: Thanks thank for having you. me on, guys.
1: All right, Fochie. A lot of great stuff there from Caitlin Cooper. We did. Not want our fans to be left out on any player, so we try to cover everybody on the team. But you know, Caitlin just bringing that heat, and uh, you know, we had to throw in some popsicles there, Fachi. Remember, it's the strawberry one, not the raspberry one that you want to try.
2: Hey, that is true. And thinking about all the players that we covered, as well as the popsicles, there was a lot to digest, I would say. <laughs> but you know what? I am looking forward to trying those out. Many, many flavors. But also, I mean, just just hearing her her thoughts on the, on the Pacers this season. There is a lot to be excited about. There are players that still have a long way to go, but either way, to her point, we are ahead of where we probably thought we'd be. And for mm-hmm. that, I'm excited going into this offseason. We've still got about 20 games to go.
1: Yeah. And she said there's a chance, you know, we could be a top six team in the East next year. So, you know, it just, you never know who you're going to get in free agency or in the draft, but it just feels like this team is, you know, projecting the right way and it seems like they're on the trajectory of becoming a playoff level team again and I think it all starts with Tyrese Halliburton what he's been able to do and it just goes down from there but Focci, that's going to wrap it up for the show today let's people know where they can find us at on social media
2: absolutely so you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three you can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I you can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk you can find us on Facebook at setting the pace you can find us on TikTok at setting the pace and Alex Tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Yeah, everybody
1: go to youtube.com slash setting the pace, a pacers podcast. Subscribe to our channel there and make sure you tell a friend about it. Let everybody know. Check out Setting the Pace on YouTube. It's always fun to see the funny faces we make when we're when we're talking about the team. So, you know, if you don't like looking at our faces, we are available on audio platforms as well, wherever you get your podcast with Bachi. If you're hoping the Pacers take down Luka Dacic, Kyrie Irving, and the Dallas Mavericks on Tuesday night, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers! The pace going to the
0: top, setting the pace going to the top. This is your number one podcast, sweeping every team. we gonna need a mop. smooth This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on.